Remember, what does revelation mean, by the way? Unveiling, uncovering. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, right? As we study this book, we get to learn more and more about Jesus. And I love that because haven't you learned a lot about Jesus in our Bible study as we've gone through Revelation? God wants us to see Jesus in a new way, in a fresh way, including this next portion of Scripture that we're going to look at, chapter 6 through 19. Not all those chapters this morning, by the way. We'll get through chapter 6, but in these chapters, um, it's going to be heavy, you guys, as we study this. It will be um, it's going to get pretty gnarly, some of the things we're going to look at and study and work our way through. And, you know, sometimes people come up to me and say, well, I'm so scared or fearful of revelation and all that stuff in there. And for the believer, there should be no fear, you guys. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. We're reminded of, of, of what Jesus is going to do in our lives as his bride, as the church um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come and take us out of here before tribulation happens. How do you know that? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we have not been appointed unto wrath. In chapters 6 through 19, we are seeing God's unmitigated wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. In fact, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, it's Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so there will be a deliverance. What is his means of deliverance? The rapture of the church. And we looked at that, didn't we? Chapter 4 and chapter 5 in Revelation, we see the church, we see um, us Christians in heaven in this beautiful scene in heaven, gathered around the throne of our Lord, worshiping him. And remember what we learned last week? We saw this, we saw this amazing picture of the son Jesus taking this scroll. How many seals were on the scroll? Seven sealed scroll, Jesus goes up, he's the only one qualified to do so, to take that scroll from the Father, and now in chapter 6, that scroll will begin to be opened, and God's wrath will begin. But I want to point out a couple of things before we get into chapter 6. I think it's important to be reminded, why is there going to be a period of tribulation? Why is this going to happen? Why is this time of testing going to come upon the whole world? Well, number one, we're going to see in the next chapter, um, there's going to be a great awakening. There's going to be many people that get saved during this time period. And for some people, that's what it takes to break them. Tribulation, pressing, myself included. It took some serious heaviness in my life to come to bring me to that place of brokenness before God and my surrender to Jesus Christ as my Savior. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It took some breaking in our lives to, to bring us to surrender, to submission, to his authority, to his lordship. Not only will there, will there be people that get saved, but also wickedness and wicked ones will be removed. The earth will be fumigated, you guys, before the second coming of Jesus Christ. God is going to deal with wickedness and wicked ones. And then third, and I think this is very important to understand, God is not through with the Jew. God has purposes and plans attached to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. And at the end of the tribulation period, there will be Jews that cry out, recognizing that Jesus is the Savior, He is the Messiah, and they will get saved. And that's important to understand because Daniel chapter 9, you guys remember Daniel chapter 9? You guys remember we studied Daniel chapter 9? The angel Gabriel came to Daniel, right? Daniel, Where was Daniel at? Babylon, thank you, in captivity, right? The children of Israel have been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. It was nearing the end of the captivity. The angel, angel Gabriel came to Daniel and shared this amazing information with him. At the end of chapter 9, you can read it or go online and listen to it. I don't have time to break it down. But the angel Gabriel said that there will be 490 years left on the prophetic clock for the nation of Israel. That time clock would start ticking with the decree to go and to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls, the city. We know that was Artaxerxes who gave that decree. We find that in Nehemiah. That kick-started this prophetic calendar, and there would be 483 years that would go all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ, to his first coming, okay? 
but it says the Messiah will be cut off. That time clock would stop with the rejection by the Jews, the rejection of Jesus Christ. We're told in John chapter 1, Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. So that clock was stopped. The prophetic clock was stopped. There's seven more years left on that prophetic clock, and it will begin with the signing of a decree, a covenant, some kind of deal with the Israelis. There's going to be some kind of man that comes on the scene, a world leader, some kind of powerful world leader that will sign a covenant with many of the Jews, and halfway into that covenant, he will break that covenant with them. And his true colors will be revealed for who and what he is. And so we'll talk about that in just a moment. And so God will deal with the nation of Israel. Seven years still left on that prophetic clock. What we're looking at now in these chapters are the future. And this is a reality, you guys. This will happen. A horrific time is going to come on this planet. It's, it's horrific now as we look around some of the things that are going on that have gone on, that are ramping up even more with more frequency and more intensity. Just as Jesus said, as we see the un- end times unfold, like a, a mother giving birth, right? The closer you get to that birth, there's more intensity, there's more frequency, there's birth pangs. Same way with God's kingdom. The closer we're getting to seeing that happen, these things are going to ramp up. They're going to happen with more intensity and more frequency. And so, let's check out chapter 6. Enough of an intro, huh? Here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1, we're told, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the, sev- the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. I want to stop right there just for a moment. So we begin in in verse 1, and we see that a stampede begins here. And notice what it says with me in verse 1. John, remember John is the one seeing what he's seeing, right? You guys remember that? It's John the one who's trying to communicate the best way he can, what he's seeing and what he's hearing. And so he says, I saw, I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. Who's the lamb? Jesus, right? So Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he now, he took the scroll, the seven sealed scroll from the father, and now he opens it up. And the first seal now is being opened. And John hears something. He hears one of those angelic beings, one of those cherubim, say something so loud it sounds like thunder, right? So with a super loud voice, it's intense, and he says what? Get over here and check this out. In other words, here's what happens on planet Earth when the scroll is opened. Again, we are following a logical and biblical outline that Jesus gave us. These are the things that are going to come to pass now, and so this is future And so John looks, verse 2, what does it say? And behold means check it out, don't miss this. He sees what? A man sitting on a white horse. He has what? He's got a couple of things. He has a bow, but notice no arrows with me. That's important. He's got a bow, no arrows, and he is given a crown 
And a crown speaks of authority. It speaks of power. It was given to him. And what did he do? Look what he did. He went out to take control. He has one goal in mind to overcome and to acquire. And I think it's important to take note of he's doing it without arrows. In other words, he's doing it in a peaceful way. He's doing it in a slick way, in other words, without force. And you know, you, th- you read this and sometimes people say, well, it's a white horse. He's got to be a good guy, right? Like the white horse, like the guys in the cowboy movies, here he comes cruising in. Here, we're looking for a hero. The hero's pulling in. By the way, the world is looking for a hero. The problem is they're, look- they're looking for love in all the wrong places. There is only one hero that can save, that can set free, that can deliver, and that is Jesus Christ. A lot of people think this is Jesus, but it's not Jesus. Well, how is this not Jesus? Number one, it doesn't fit, you guys, because who's opening the seals? Jesus Jesus is. Number one, just like basically, just we look at this, he's the one opening the seals. He's not at two places at once. He's going to keep opening these seals. And by the way, when he gets to the seventh seal... That will kick off trumpet judgments. There will be seven trumpet judgments. At the seventh trumpet, what's going to happen? There's going to be seven bowl judgments that will happen after that. So there's this sequence that's happening with judgment. So this is opened, and here comes this guy on the white horse. He's on a continual conquest. He's doing it in a peaceful way. At Jesus' second coming, a lot of people say, well, this is Jesus' second coming to the earth to set up his kingdom. The problem is, at Jesus' second coming to this earth, the carnage, the devastation, the bloodshed ends. It's over. With this guy coming on the scene, what happens? The second seal, it ramps up, doesn't it? There's killing, there's murder. It just continues to ramp up and get worse and worse. And by the way, also this word um, crown in verse 2, that word is Stephanos. It's it's the crown that, that people would be given when they won an event in the Olympics. Um, But it does speak of authority. It does speak of power. When Jesus returns, he comes back with many crowns. That word is diadems. It's not Stephanos. It's diadems, which means ultimate authority. And Jesus is the one with all power and all authority, by the way. He is the sovereign one. And so this is not Jesus. It doesn't fit. This is a counterfeit. And I'm bringing this up because during the tribulation, there will be a counterfeit trinity. Are you with me? This is like important stuff. There's a counterfeit trinity. Just like there's a real trinity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there will be a counterfeit trinity. There will be a counterfeit Father, the devil. There will be a counterfeit Jesus Christ or Christ in the Antichrist. Or he's also called the beast also. And then the false prophet is a counterfeit Holy Spirit, which we will learn about later also. And so everyone will love this guy. They will rejoice in his bringing of peace. But we know midway through the tribulation period, he will break that covenant with the children of Israel and he will persecute and he will go on a rampage to kill them. And so with the opening of the first seal, the seven-year period known as the tribulation begins right now. And again, it begins with the signing of that covenant, you guys, from Daniel chapter 9. By the way, Jesus said deception would mark the last days, didn't he? The first thing Jesus said concerning Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, the first thing Jesus said was, beware that you're not deceived. Are you with me this morning? That warning goes to us too. There are a lot of deceivers out there. There are lots of antichrists, small a antichrists out there, John said, already before the Antichrist shows up on the scene. Anti means in place of God or in place of Jesus or, or in front of Jesus or, or Jesus is not there, it's just him. And so we need to beware. So what's our protection against deception? How about the Word of God, you guys? How about the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into all truth? Seeking the Lord, seeking Him in His Word, and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, to test everything you hear and see with the Word of God, you guys. I find it so crazy how many people get picked off, Christians that get picked off because they don't know their Bibles. They're deceived. They allow things into their home, into their lives that have no place being there because they don't test things with the Word of God. So important, you guys. And so... That's our protection from deception, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Well, look at verse 3 and 4. The second seal gets opened. 
Jesus opens the second seal. John hears that second living creature saying, get over here, check this out, right? Verse three, and what does he see? He sees the second horse. This one is what color? Red, fiery red, blood red. The horse goes out and notice there's a guy sitting on this horse and he's given permission. I think this is important as we look at what goes on, the, 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 these things that happen during the tribulation. God's wrath being poured out is not just one big explosive, like just blows up the earth. It's, 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 it's uh, incremental, if you will. Because why? Because in wrath, God remembers mercy. As we look at this period of tribulation, God continues to reach out to men, men that are in rebellion to him, men that are, that are shaking their fist at God, cursing him, saying, I don't want anyone to, I'll rule my own life, I'll go my own way. I don't need Jesus. I don't need him. I don't want him. Get away from me with that Jesus stuff. And we see as wrath is being poured out, it's tempered with his mercy. In any event, there needs to be permission given and so there's permission given to this guy riding the horse. And what is it to do? What is he to do? To remove peace from the planet. Isn't that interesting? Because there just was peace, right? It was a false peace, a false sense of security. The Antichrist comes on the scene, this one riding the white horse. He cruises in. He's got his crown. Everybody's like, yeah, he's the guy. He's, gonna, he's brought peace. He's united everyone together. And just as quickly as there's peace, it's a false peace. It gets taken away by the next rider. In fact, how's it taken? Look what it says. That people should kill one another. There's murder, bloodshed. Some people believe it could be a nuclear exchange. There's war going on. He's given a great sword, a terrible, fierce sword. And planet Earth will experience a time of peace, and then it's gone. And, and by the way, there's only one that can give you peace. It's Jesus, you guys. There is only one. There's only one that can give you lasting peace, real peace. And that's Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Do you, listen, do you have heaven's peace ruling in your heart this morning? You should. You need to. God promises perfect peace to the mind that is set upon him. It's an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. It's an evidence that we are in prayer and communication because sometimes we let down our guard, don't we? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, right? And what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise, you guys, from Jesus, from his word. He wants us to have peace, but peace only comes through him. It's with him. He provides the peace. And there, this guy comes on the scene, and he doesn't provide a peace for people. It's, it's a false peace, and it's gone just like that. Look at the next uh, seal that's open, verse 5. Jesus opens seal number three. John hears again one of those angelic beings. And, and he looks, right? Get over here. Check this out. And John looks, and what does he see? A black horse, right? And there's a dude riding on it. And what's he have in his hands? You guys ever seen a pan scale? Anybody ever seen a pan scale? You guys know that? It's that scale, right? It has the two things on, like the, I don't know what they're called, the pans, pan scale, right? to weigh stuff out in. That's what he's holding here. And notice what it says. John hears something in the middle of these angelic beings. An unidentified voice gives instructions, right? Measurements are given. And what are the measurements? One quart of wheat is to be sold for one denarius. That's one denarius, by the way. That was about one day's wage. So one day's wages for a quart of wheat to buy a bun. Think about that, you guys. That's pretty sketchy economic conditions, isn't it? And then also, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Also, so for a day's wage, you can get, you'll have to work all day long to get this amount of food. And by the way, barley was a substandard food product. Barley was for animals. And so the, the people that are struggling to, uh, the, the working class people, they're going to barely survive. But... However, the rich, they're going to be insulated. Because why? Notice what's said here also in these verses. It says, do not touch the what? Do not harm the oil and wine. Those are luxury items. 
Those are for the rich, the oil, the wine. And so those that are wealthy during this time period, they're going to be insulated. They're going to be able, they're going to have uh, decent food. There'll be a scarcity of food. They'll be, have this kind of um, monopoly on things. Economic conditions, sketchy. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Mad Max, Road Warrior. That's kind of the situation I think that's happening. That brings up bad memories for you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Verse 7, fourth, Jesus opens the fourth seal. John hears, again, the same thing, but this is a, one of the different cherubim or different living creatures speak. He says, get over here, check this out. John looks and he sees what color horse? Pale horse. Pale. It, it, literally in the Greek, it means yellowish green. So kind of a nasty color. And the name of the guy who sat on this horse, his name is what? Death. And Hades followed with him. These two ride together is the idea. Death takes the body. Listen, death takes the body and Hades takes the soul. Hades is the unseen realm where unbelievers, listen, those that reject Jesus Christ, they will go to this place of torment called Hades and they are there awaiting the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, where they will be found guilty. There, it's not a second chance, by the way. It is appointed man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You, if you are rejecting Jesus Christ today and you die in that condition, that is where you will be, that, that's where you will end up. And then you will stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and you will be declared guilty because of your rejection of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, Hades follows because once you die in your sins, that's where you're headed apart from Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't know the Lord today, it's not an accident you're listening. It's not an accident you're here. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God sent his son to die for you, to give his life for you, for your sins. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. It's so simple. Even a child can understand. You turn from going your own way. And you place your trust in him, his provision for your sins and the hope of everlasting life. Well, death and Hades receive power. And notice what it says, over a fourth of the earth is killed. Think about that. I think there's almost, there's close to 8 million people on the planet right now. Eight, no, 8 billion, sorry. 8 million. No, that's just in, two, I mean, a quarter of that is what? 2 billion people are killed. How? Look what it says. More war, lack of food, disease, sickness, plagues, that's that word death also means by the beasts of the earth, wild animals, animals will take life also. And you know what? During the tribulation, man gets what he wants. God says, you you want to live for yourself? You want to live for these things? You want to live to, to, to please yourself, to live any way you want? Here's, here's, here's the fruit of that. Here's what happens. I mean, I think about the beasts of the earth, beasts, animals attacking people. Think about how many people worship their animals. They do. There are people that care more about their dogs than they do about human life. But I have family members that way. And it's like, really? You care more, you worship that mutt. You live for that mutt. And God has so much more for you. In fact, Jesus addressed the Pharisees because of that. Remember? Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. You guys remember that? He's healing on the Sabbath, and they're tripping out. They're getting mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. This is heavy, but this is straight-up truth, man. This is some reality therapy, maybe, for some of us this morning. Jesus said, which one of you, if your ox falls in a ditch, you won't rescue that? You won't rescue your animal, but you could care less about a man seeing again, being healed again, his life being radically transformed. You care more about your animals than you do about people being healed. That's sad. That's pathetic. But that's what happens when God says, you know what? Man can have his way. Where selfishness, where self-centeredness takes a life, where, where the me goes, and we see it here in the time of tribulation, well, watch what happens next. This is kind of a beautiful thing. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, who was opening the seals, by the way? Jesus, Jesus is. John sees something. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain 
for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Verse 11, Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Notice this. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So during this time period, there will be people that give their lives for Jesus. They will be martyred for the Lord. Notice when Jesus opens the fifth seal, what does John see under the altar? There's an altar in heaven, you guys. And remember when God gave Moses the, the, um, the directions, the instructions for building the tabernacle and the temple, the instructions for the temple, right? It was in miniature what's going on in heaven. And so there's this altar there, and John sees this altar. And notice under the altar, what does he see? Look what it says. This is interesting to me. He sees what? Souls. You can see a soul, apparently. They have some kind of body. They're not just kind of like some Casper floating around. They have some kind, and they're under the altar. And who were they? They were the ones that gave their lives. Notice for two reasons their lives were taken. Number one, for what? The Word of God. What's the Word of God? Right here, our Bibles. And number two, for what? The testimony which they held. They've been witnesses for Jesus. They held on to the Word of God. The Word of God was the most important influence in their lives, the truth of God's Word. And not only that, their testimony. Their testimony, their witness to the world that they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They went on record, not only with their lips, but with their lives. People knew they were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why their lives were taken. That's why they were martyred. And by the way, martyr means witness in the Greek. And, and listen, it's not just that all of a sudden they gave their lives as martyrs. They lived martyrs' lives. They lived as witnesses. You can live a martyr's life right now. A testimony, a witness that Jesus is alive and living in your heart. And by the way, Jesus said something about this. In Luke chapter 12. I think it's Luke 12. Yeah, Jesus said, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Did you hear that? Why? Because they can take our body, but our soul goes on. Jesus went on to say, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So we should have a healthy fear of God, you guys, is what Jesus is saying. And these people did have a healthy fear of the Lord. What's noticed, what's, what's, what's noted is their commitment and their confession. What's your testimony this morning? What's your testimony for Jesus this morning? Are you living for him? Are you giving over to him? How important, how important is God's word to you this morning? For these people, their testimony and the word of God was the most important thing in their lives. And they were willing to lay down their lives for Jesus. They cried out. All of those were crying out. How long? Notice their, their request is respectful and reverent. How long, O Lord, O Sovereign One, holy, there's none like you and true. You're right on. You're reliable. How long until you bring your righteous judgment? They have a question. How long till you avenge us? How long till you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And we're going to see that, that word used for people that are living for the things of this earth as earth dwellers, those that dwell on the earth. They're the ones who took their lives. Those unbelievers that were living for the things of this earth. And one reason for the tribulation is God's vengeance on those who oppose him. He'll settle all accounts and then he'll set up his kingdom, you guys. What's interesting to me is, though, when you are, when you are harassing and hassling, persecuting Christians, you're doing it to Jesus. Remember when the Apostle Paul, before he got saved, what was his name? Saul was on the warpath hunting down Christians to kill them. Jesus stopped him right in his tracks. You guys remember that? And said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? 
Why are you persecuting believers? Is that what he said? He said, why are you persecuting me? When, when, listen, when we're, when we're treating brothers and sisters wrong, we're treating the Lord wrong. <laughs> but for those that are killing Christians, harassing them, hassling them, you're doing it to Jesus. He sees it that way. And he will take vengeance. Vengeance is his. And so notice a white robe. What's, what's a white robe speak of, you guys? Righteousness, right? That's given to us. That's Im- imputed to us. It's an act of God, not a work of man. A white robe was given to them, and they're told what? Just chill for a little while longer until what? There's going to be more people that are martyred until that number is completed. There will be a number of people that will be martyred for the word of God and for their testimony during the tribulation. And at the end, the Lord will wrap it all up. Vengeance is his. And so look at verse 12. What does it say in verse 12? John looks and he sees what? When he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. Some of your Bibles may split up, say split apart. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. I'm going to read down to the end. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Why? For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Wow. It's interesting to see that word, those words put together, wrath of the lamb. I don't picture an angry lamb, do you? You ever see a sign, beware of angry lamb? <laughs> but his wrath will come. So John looks and he sees in verse 12, what does he see? Jesus opened, opening the sixth seal, and again, behold means check it out. What happens? An enormous earthquake. The sun stops shining and becomes black. The moon becomes blood red. Celestial bodies start flying, start falling. Lots of them, like so ripe, like a tree that's shaken here, a fig tree. The sky separates, and then like a scroll kind of rolls up. And notice all, mount, all these mountains and islands Begin, begin to get rearranged. And you know, you look around us today, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. Worldwide catastrophes, cataclysmic events. Again, Jesus said that would happen and that it would ramp up with more intensity and more frequency the closer and closer we get to his second coming to this earth. And this is an announcement. Hey, the day of God's wrath has come. It's just begun. It's it's come. It's just beginning. That's just the sixth seal that's happening. And and what's interesting to me is that people know it. The leaders, look at verse 15. The leaders on earth, the nobles, the politicians, the wealthy, military officers, men of power, wealth, and influence, that's mighty men, every slave, those enslaved, those not enslaved, every free man. What do they do? They all went into hiding. Where do they go hiding? Dens, caves, doomsday bunkers, preppers. Aren't they, are they what they're called? Preppers? Go hiding in there, hiding away. And you guess what? You know what? You can't hide from the Lord. The, the judgment of God is the great equalizer. It will equalize everyone from the bravest to the least. What are they doing? They're freaking out, Right? And they know this is different than anything they've ever experienced. Those that have shaken their fist at God, that have bad-mouthed him, all people are panicking and, and they're, there's nowhere to escape. And what do they do? Verse 16, look what they do. They pray, they, they begin to pray. Who do they pray to? Mother Earth, so is it? Mountains and rocks mountains, rocks, fall on us, hide us. Isn't that interesting? Hide us from the Father and the Son. Rather than repent 
and cry out for mercy, rather than they cry out to creation rather than the creator. They would, they'd rather die. They would rather die than see the face of the Lord. That's heavy. But here's the thing. Creation can't save you. Can it? Creation can't save you. It's an unsatisfactory God. Only Jesus can save. Only he can rescue. And then in verse 17, check this out with me. Verse 17, the last verse. The day of man and man ruling and reigning has, is coming to a close. The great day of his wrath has come. The day of the Lord has come. By the way, the day of the Lord, you read that, that phrase throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, and it always refers to this period of the tribulation, the seven years, with, culminating with the coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. Who is, able to, who is able to stand? Who can endure this? I don't know about you guys, but I find it interesting that they get it. Did you notice that? You guys notice that? They, get, they understand this is a God thing. How did they understand that? How do they know this is a God thing going on? Do you know why? Because there were faithful people like you and me sharing the truth with them. Sharing the truth of God's word. Why? Why do we share the truth of God's word with people? Because we don't want to see them perish apart from the Lord. We care about that. If you saw a man that's blind walking out in the middle of the street, what would you do? Would you rescue him? Or just let him cruise? You'd rescue him, wouldn't you? Think about, think about when you were blind. Did you have people come and share with you? I did. I'm eternally grateful for those people that grabbed a hold of me and shared the truth in love with me. That didn't hold back. They shared with me about sin, about hell. They shared with me about heaven. They share, they share with me about God's love, His grace, but also His judgment, His holiness. I am so grateful that those people did. And I find it interesting because they've been given opportunities to repent. They've heard about Jesus. Things get rough. Here, things are getting rough, but the end is not yet. Birth pains will happen. They subside. I, I don't know about... I wasn't a mom. I was with Tanya rooting her on. But you moms know, doesn't the birth pangs, they ramp up and then they kind of slow down for a little bit? Is that right or no? Yes? Amen, moms? Can you give me an amen? You mamas here? <laughs> people freak in here. I'm bringing this up because why? Because people freak out. Tribulation hits in their lives. Difficulty hits. People freak out. We saw it during 9-11. The church was packed. You couldn't find a seat. It was standing room only, man. Hardship hits, difficulty hits, tribulation comes, and guess what? Boom, it hits. Everybody comes to church for a while. Everybody's got the God talk down. And then what happens? Normalcy comes back. Things become normal again. And it's like, where did everybody go? What happened? You know what the problem is? The problem is the heart. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. Men love darkness rather than light. It's a spiritual issue. And Jesus is the expert on the heart. He wants to not only forgive you and save you and give you the hope of heaven, but come into your heart and change it to make you new, to transform your life. Only Jesus can do that, you guys. You guys know that already. It's preaching to the choir, man. So what do we learn about Jesus here this morning? Again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. God wants us to see more of Jesus, to know more about Jesus. I would say, number one, he's pretty patient. It's not all just one big explosion. Some of us, when we get angry, it's one big explosion. No amens, any wall punchers. You're lying. Don't be lying in church, man. I know some of you guys are snappers. One big outburst of breath. Boom. The Lord doesn't do that here. We're going to see it is incremental. We're going to see it tonight, if you guys come for service tonight, we're in chapter 8 of Revelation. We're going to see all the way through, God, it's measured. His, his judgment is measured. And God measures time morally. 
He measures time morally. He gives people an opportunity to repent. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want it to end this way. He gives people choice, doesn't he? Correct? He didn't create us robots. He, and he honors man's choices. You want to go that way? Okay. And so in light of that, so we know this. We know that we're going to be rescued from the wrath to come. We're saved. Hallelujah. Jesus is going to take us out of here. Oh, it may get hard. It may, it, you know, I think it, I'm almost positive it's going to get harder. That's just my own opinion here in the United States. Persecution ramping up. That's my own opinion. I, I think it's going to be revival too, personally. Because I'm seeing it in my own heart, my own life. I'm seeing it in our church. But since we know this, what is, how is that going to translate into your life this week? Oh, I heard about these seals. That was cool, man. And this is what's going to happen in the future. And How is it going to translate into your life this morning? Again, what's interesting to me is um, the very thing that so many people can't stand right now is the church. Salt and light. The very thing that people can't stand about Christians is the very thing that's preserving them from the judgment of God. Jesus said, you are the salt of the, you are the light of the world. What does salt do? Preserves. We're certainly a preservative, aren't we? You see what's going to happen when the church gets taken out of here? That preservative, righteousness, godliness, truth gets taken out. Listen, we are a preservative, you guys. What else does salt do? Salt brings, you, you, go, to a good, you go to a good ocean with a cut, you jump in, salt water, you, you, you got a cut in your mouth, you put salt water in you. It brings healing, thank you. Does it correct? You guys are, don't go down to Galveston, you got a cut, you cover up. <laughs> Brings heal- Listen, is your life bringing healing to others? You're the salt of the earth. Jesus said, and listen, it's in, in the Greek, it's you and you alone are the salt of the earth. It's not the Hindu, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the one with the crystals and all that, worshiping Mother Earth, tree-hugging Earth Mama. Listen, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You're the one that brings a preservative in your home, in your community. Are we a preservative? Are, are you bringing healing into people's lives? I'm not talking about, you know, you walk up to someone and be in the name of Jesus, boom, you know, get a mattress behind this guy. But there's people that need healing, not just physically, but up here in their hearts. And we get to point people to who? To Jesus, who's the great physician. To his word. His word brings healing. It brings help to our lives. It's what people need. Man, again, if man shall not live by bread alone, people are, what are, people are chewing on crusts of bread, and we have what? We have truth and life to give them to bring healing to their lives. What else does salt do? You guys ever go to the movie theater? And they get, get that big bucket of... Yellow stuff, real super salty. You guys know what I'm talking about? Get stuck in your chompers. You guys know what I'm talking about? Big thing. And what happens? You start to, right? You're just munching, watching your movie, your G movie. You start to get what? Thirsty. And then they charge you what? Like eight bucks for that, like, like, like medium Coke. They know you're going to get thirsty, right? Water fountain's not working. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Is your life creating a thirst in others? Is it creating a thirst? Or are we repelling people? Listen, we should be the most chill people on the entire planet. But sadly, Christians are not so often. We're freaking out, biting our nails, comfort fooding, you know. 
round the clock. It's like, no, you know what? We should be super chill. We know how it's going to roll out. Jesus wants us to know how it's going to roll out. And he's shown us that. Why? That we might be salt to people in their lives. He said, you and you alone, Christian, brother, sister, it's just us. It's us. And it's like, Lord, help us be the most salt, the saltiest, lightiest people for you. Well, I've lost my saltiness. Pastor, what do I do? Have you thought about maybe praying and asking the Lord? Or maybe you didn't even realize that you're becoming, you're becoming less and less salty. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit's showing you this morning and bringing conviction to your heart. I know the Lord has brought conviction to my heart. Because I'm not always the saltiest person. I, my daughters say sometimes you're salty, my dad. Meaning you're being a jerk, I think. Is that what the, it's, You're angry, right? Is that the saying these days? I don't know. But we should be salty. And we should ask the Lord to help us to be salty, if that's the case. And he also said, you're the light of the world. Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But he also says, you and you alone are the light of the world. What does a light do? Shines, gives direction. I'm running out of time. If you've lost your lightiness, what do you do? You know that God makes it so simple for us? It's just coming back to Jesus. He doesn't go anywhere. He's right there with you. You guys ever see those glow-in-the-dark toys? Anybody seen a glow-in-the-dark toy? You know, so I might get them like Burger King or whatever, wherever. And they lose their shine sometimes, don't they? What do you do to make them more shiny? You put them next to the light, the light source. Not hard. I'm getting dimmer and dimmer. I'm not shining for Jesus. What do I do? Spend some time in the light, with the light of the world. Just come back to him. Say, Lord, light me up. I want to shine for you. I know all this now. I want, to, I want, I want my life to count. Because why? Because, listen, the, the days are evil. Redeem the time. How, who knows how much time you got left, how much time I got left, how much time we have left till he comes for us. And it will be worth it serving him and living for him, being salt and light bringing him glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning for this passage where you have us. We don't want to just gain a bunch of head knowledge, Lord. Just know about scrolls and seals. But we want to make you known, Lord, with the things we're learning and working through, trying to correctly divide your word, that we would correctly apply it in our lives. And by the power of your spirit, the Holy Spirit, you would help us to walk in these things, to be salt, to be light, to bring you glory and honor. That we would let our light so shine that people would see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. You've been such a good father We know you will continue to be a good father, that our lives are in your hands, our times are in your hands. And so may we redeem the time. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, that we be open to a fresh work of your spirit each day, that you'd lead us and guide us and fill us and use us. Thank you for saving us from the wrath to come. Thank you for that promise of coming back for your bride, for us, that we might be where you are. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, perhaps you've been listening this morning, you've been listening to the service, to the Bible study, And you know that the Lord has just isolated you right now all alone. And you need to make a choice concerning Jesus Christ. And the choice is concerning your eternity, where you will spend eternity. 
God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, for your sins, my sins. He suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. And he offers life to anyone that will come to him. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, you come just as you are to Jesus. With all your sin, with all your baggage, all your stuff, he'll give you a fresh start, forgive you. You need to repent. And place your trust in Jesus Christ. Right here, right now. Don't don't go another minute without knowing where you're going to spend eternity. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, yeah, Mike, that's me. I I need Jesus. I recognize it right here, right now. Would you raise up your hand? Can I pray with you this morning? I'll lead you in a prayer. So simple. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? I don't want to stop if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now. Anyone else? For this precious one that's raised her hand, you can repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you wash me and cleanse me and make me new? You promised you would. Would you fill me with your spirit? I don't want to go back to those sins anymore. I surrender to you. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I give you my life. Father, we thank you so much for this precious one that's raised her hand and opened her heart to you. We pray that you would protect her heart and that your word would find a deep, rich place in her heart, Lord. That she would grow and thrive and abound under your care, the Good Shepherd, just as our lives have abounded and thrived as we've walked with you. Would you stir up the giftings and callings in her life? Use her, Lord, in a special way for your glory. We thank you so much for the free gift. We rejoice in so great a salvation. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, 